Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Long. It's you know me, Daddy T. Welcome to another episode of Iconic Confessions. Okay, if you don't know, it's classic Hall of Fame episodes from early seasons of Make It Tell Me Anything. Um, these are personally vetted. Okay, I'm not just closing my eyes and picking them. Uh, although every single episode in this entire library is amazing. I just know that we've been in, uh, you know, four years going, season five. Some of you may have missed some early episodes, and some of you might just want to recover. So, every couple of weeks, I like to take an iconic confession to add to the Hall of Fame. This week, we have Robert Evans. This was one of the first episodes I ever did. I believe it was episode 17. Don't quote me on that. I, by the end of this uh, can you tell I'm tired right now? I will tell you what number it is. 49. Wow. So off. So off. I think Eli Oldberg was 17. I got that mixed up first recorded March 2019. I love this episode. We had known each other at Cracked already. Um, obviously, I have since gotten to know each other even better since Cracked. Um, you know, thank you to Jack O'Brien, who created, um, who started up the comedy podcast division at iHeartRadio, because, you know, it's given us old Cracked alum a place to just group up. I uh, lucky to have been on Behind the Bastards quite a few times. Love Robert Evans. So he came on my pod. Um, trigger warning, we talk about eating disorders, um, we don't get super graphic, but, you know, just want to know, in case that is a sensitive topic for you, his confession, uh, is all about, LA, and how he coped with his loneliness, and how he became a little bit obsessive with his eating habits, um, we'll get into it more in detail, it's a really great conversation, um, it's the most popular still of all time, the highest download still of the entire library, so I just wanted to put that back out in front of anyone who hasn't heard it. Um, obviously, if you guys have any faves, let me know. You can always reach me at tellmeanythingpod on Instagram or at recentlybought on Instagram, or, you know, email me, tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com. Lately, I don't know if some of you all signed up to me on spam or what, because I barely use that email for anything but this pod, but that email has to get a lot of spam, so it would be nice to see a confidant in there somewhere. Um... Or, you know, speaking of confidants, if you haven't left me a review, thanks to all the new folks who did, you can do so. Um, go to Apple Podcasts. Do people still use Apple? We're all on Spotify. Whatever. Leave a review. If you have a cool new Gen Z app I've never heard of, leave a review there. Five stars, please, if you feel down, because, you know, it's a small business, okay? We don't need any three star, two stars here. You know, we want to we wanna boost that little foundation. Obviously, if you have any real feedback that you do feel like, wow, I can never, ever give Teresa five stars because of blah, blah, blah. Let me know. Happy to hear it. Um, but if you do do a review, screenshot it, send it to me, I shall give you the private confession that nobody else has. Okay? I promise. Um, and that's it for the podcast <laughs> advertising. But before I get into this episode, want to let you know, reminder again, I'm going to keep promoting my tour. I, I don't even think I'm promoting it enough, honestly. I really should be posting more. I am on tour in Chicago, April 19th, and then traveling all the way down to Atlanta. Oh boy, let me just like read you my dates. Okay, so then I'm in Cincinnati, April 21st. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, opening for Dave Waite on April 22nd and April 23rd. So please come to that. Dave is great. I will be doing a set. He will be doing a set. It's a wonderful venue. There are three shows to choose from. April 24th, I'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina. April 25th, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia. I'm headlining that show. That's going to be a super fun show produced by Traverse Comedy. Um, Mary Jane and Steve are wonderful. I did a show with them way back in November when I was in town for a college gig. So I'm coming back this time for real, you know, not just piggybacking on a college gig. Um, that will be at Bottoms at Pizza. So come get some pizza. Five tickets are only $5 in advance, $10 at door. Asheville, uh, I'm really excited for this show. I will be there April 26th at Ginger's Revenge. Model Face Comedy is producing. That was the show I was supposed to do in 2020 when me and Eli were going to go on tour, you may remember, right before the pandemic. So I'm coming back to do it for real. That was the one I had to cancel. Like, literally, I was like, I'm so sorry, guys, because people bought tickets. So this time, don't forget, buy tickets, okay? You know, it's going to be safe, fully vaxxed, all that, sh- all that stuff, Okay. And uh, I will be at the Laughing Skull for the rest of the weekend from April 28th to May 1st. That's going to be super fun. Um, I will be all around Atlanta. So if you live there, let me know. Let's hang out. Atlanta is one of my favorite cities to do comedy in. 
Um, it's just so fun. And I will be going back to my favorite place to eat wings, which um, is where I go every time I go to Atlanta. Uh, and then if you're in L.A. and you want to catch me before I go on tour, April 7th, I'll be at Verdugo Bar on a show called The Popular Kids Club. Heard great things about it. I've never done it before, but I see it all over the gram, so I'm excited to see what it's like. That's it for the announcements. Thank you guys so much. Um, enjoy this iconic confession with Robert Evans. You can tell her, you can tell her anything. She's a real good listener. You can tell her anything. Hey guys, it's Teresa, the host of You Can Tell Me Anything, the podcast where comedians confess something they've never told anyone before sort of um uh you know never talked about in this capacity i tell people not to do something they've done on stage but you know sometimes it's something they've thought about and told their significant other i won't police what you talk about in your private life um i'm only mentioning that because sometimes people comment and they'll be like well they're not all real secrets but they are because what is a secret but most secrets have been told to at least three people right like what is there anything in your life that you've never told well we'll find out all right that's a, this is my official intro word for word I wrote that down that's how I scripted it anyways <laughs> today I have a really special guest I'm super excited uh, we work together at Cracked. he's super funny he has written a book called uh, all about ancient drugs called the ancient history of vice a brief, history. Oh, a brief history yeah, of vice. yeah I, I stole a title from Stephen Hawking ah uh, yes the, a brief history of vice and is uh, currently a host of a podcast called Behind the Bastards. Really great, dark but funny, and um, very informative podcast about uh, bad people in history. But super well researched, really fun. Check that out if you haven't already. It's Robert Evans. Hey. Hello. And Hello. you have a GoFundMe that you're. I, um, I do. Uh, doing right now to raise money for an audiobook you're writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the War on Everyone. If you go to GoFundMe and look that up, you can find that and what it's about and everything. So yeah, that's I've got that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You have a great haircut. Oh, I guess thank it's two you. weeks old. I haven't seen you in a minute. It and has I, been a minute. But it's weird how you can still tell it's a haircut even if it's been two weeks, right? It is weird. What a, yeah. I, what, what is that? I, I don't know why. I think I usually look like an unkempt mountain man. So no, anytime you don't. I've got like <laughs> hair not falling into my ears, uh, that's probably one part of it. Well, I haven't seen your hair this short, uh, but I like it. It's good. I mean, they both look good. I think I like to comment on haircuts. I think because I'm very like, I like to say something to people as soon as I see them about like i'm like oh you gotta be present so then haircuts are the easiest thing to be like oh your hair's different than last time i saw you that's good so yeah i'm not i'm working on being present it's hard it's really hard are you good at that i feel like you seem like a very good because you connect to people really well i am terrible at being present in the moment oh Uh, yeah i only really do that when i'm like interviewing someone or talking to them Uh the rest of the time i live in space your your uh, mind just goes off and wanders i i do that a lot and i'll catch myself now because of all the like therapy and stuff that i've gone through my dog is making weird noise but that's fine he's trying to dig Um, through the chair (laughs) uh all the like therapy i go through about being present and blah 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 so now i notice when i'm not but i don't know if that's better because it's almost like another thing to think about. I'm like, oh, I'm not being present, Teresa, be present. Um, But now I'm just also, I've come back around and I'm at the point where I'm like, well, sometimes people are boring and my imagination is going to take me over. So maybe it's okay to just go off. Drift into the world. Yeah. What's your take on that? I mean, I think that if you're an anxious person uh, and you go to therapy, they a lot of times what they'll give you is more things to be anxious about. But that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing because sometimes being healthy is about being anxious about the right things as opposed to the wrong things. That's true. Do you go to therapy? Sometimes. Not mm-hmm. regularly enough, uh, especially since you know we, we all got uh, canned, so I didn't have like the health care mm-hmm. and stuff. But I should go to therapy more, and I don't. You don't need to say that, and a lot of people come on this podcast and say that when I ask, like that I should, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that down and say that you, that's a thing you're anxious about. You don't need to. There's no should. You go when you want it. Don't go when you don't. And um, I think going at all is good. And I think we do this thing as like writers and comedians. We're always like, I should be doing more. I should be work. I should be writing. I should be doing a mic. I should. So um, I'm gonna give you permission to just say, you go, because you've gone, and you might not be going now today, but. Just leave my mental illness untreated. Do I? No, 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 not untreated. But now? you're saying like I should. Well, are you not like not going? Right, you're just not going as often as in I your mind you think going. you should go. Yeah, I'm just not going. Okay, and have not for a while. I see. Yeah. 
but you've gone. I have gone you've in like the gone past. You've gone in depth before and worked on stuff and yeah. had breakthroughs. I wouldn't say breakthroughs. It was more like a, more like a tourniquet. Like I went back when I was having like real bad PTSD breaks and stuff, uh-huh. and so it was yeah, it was like it was like uh, going because otherwise you were gonna bleed out. Yeah, and then I didn't go at all after that, which I should have. That I think that it comes and goes in waves. I don't I don't go every week anymore, um, and I think that's okay. And yeah, yeah, and I think having you have a safety net because you've set up care. Just like with your primary care doctor or whatever, which actually I don't have. I don't have either. (laughs) (laughs) But as a child, you have like your pediatrician and once they're set up, you can just show up when you're, you know, sick. So I think therapy is the same way. Once you've gotten through the initial fear of going, not everyone's afraid, but, you know, I was afraid of going. Once you get over the initial fear, then it becomes easier when you are in a dire situation to just be like, hey, I got to come in. Right? Yeah, Do you feel I, like you could pick up your phone if you had something going no, on? You don't. Oh, no, no, no. I don't have like a, a therapist anymore. I, oh. I would need to set all of that up again. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm I'm not being <laughs> responsible with my uh, my mental or physical health right now. But you know. But you're getting a haircut, so. But I got a haircut. Um, well, we'll start on something good because I do like to start with a good confession, um, just for my audience to get to know the guests. Is there something good you'd like to confess? Good that I'd like to confess. Your dog sat ba- down between my feet and oh. I like, got all cuddled up, and Aww. that felt pretty nice. I was like, "Oh, nice. the, this this dog, trust me." Yeah, and she yeah, has he, no he has no reason to. He's um he loves uh, attention, so mm-hmm. he probably could feel that you're gonna give him attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know why he likes to lay it in between legs. Like if I'm in bed, he'll like move. Like if he's already on the bed, he'll move to like sit in between my legs. I imagine it's secure because like he's small enough that like your legs are like two little walls, and oh, so yeah. like nothing's gonna get me from the <laughs> left or the right, you know, because I got these 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 warm walls on my side. Oh, that's nice. That's true. Yeah. It's like a little tent. Yeah. Um, safe. But he takes up so much space because of that. Because he'll like always move right to the middle. And yeah. Like, okay, you're in the middle. Um, well, that's nice. Well, do you, you don't have pets, do you? You had a cat. I have, have a cat have that a cat. that is in my ex-wife's care down in Texas now. Okay. That I miss very much. But yeah, I, I've had I had dogs all my life growing up too. I just don't have them now because I travel too much, and mm-hmm. it's kind of mean to do to a dog if you're going to be like gone half of every month. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that to a dog. Yeah, I get to bring him into work, which is a huge help. I don't think it would think it'd be very hard to have yeah. him if it wasn't for that. I like really big dogs, so if I ever have a dog again, it's going to be like a husky or a Doberman, mm. which is what I grew up with. But like, you really you got to be around a lot for a dog, yeah. otherwise it's kind of a dick move. That's true. You got to let them run around, or you can get a really old dog. But I guess yeah, yeah. they just but want they just want to be around you. They want it. Yeah, they want friends. Mm-hmm. It's weird because when I first got him, I was very anxious about having to keep him alive which is like you just you know you do it they're pretty easy like they're pretty, th- easy. They're pretty robust but there's a fear <laughs> in like and this is me like overthinking but there's a fear in like i was like he was a puppy like eight months old I, he was rescued but like i think they didn't the family maybe inherit like maybe got him from a litter or something mm-hmm. and didn't want him um so i never wanted to have a dog that young i knew i wanted a dog but i was thinking i'd get like an older dog to start with but he was eight months, so I remember looking up the lifespan of a Shih Tzu, which I think he's part Shih Tzu, and it's like they live very long, like yeah. fifteen or uh, like and cats plus years. Almost, yeah. yeah, and I remember seeing that and feeling so anxious because, of course, I don't want him to ever die, but just the thought of like, oh my god, I have to keep this thing alive for fifteen years. Yeah, how am I going to do that? I don't know how I'm going to keep myself alive for fifteen years, and that really sent me into panic mode. And I had a lot of stress dreams for like the first week about like I had a dream where I got this box of rabbits and uh, they just all ran away and I Aww. had to like shut all the doors and try to get them all. And and then I was like, oh, this is definitely me afraid of like, and murdering my dog. No, I get that. When, I, when we got our cat, I was like 25, 26 and it was the realization of like, oh my God, I'm going to have this cat when I'm like 45. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what's going to be going on. How yeah. can I take on this responsibility? But she's a cat. It's been fine. It's crazy. But also, there's something nice about like I, me thinking of like, oh, when I'm 40, he'll be there, an old dog. And I, it's nice to imagine like something being with you f- uh, for that long. Because yeah. I mean, people, yes, that you can do that, I guess, having a partner. But it's still different because people go off and live their lives and they have like con- complete autonomy whatever but a dog is like you're with that dog like that is your dog by your side like a literal companion so Mm -hmm. to imagine like oh i can in 10 years look back and uh just be like oh we've got 10 years of shared life together that's really cool and special so 
I, I'm looking forward to to seeing my old dog and just be like, whoa, we've been uh, through a lot. Yeah, I love janky <laughs> old dogs. I've seen yeah. them walk down the street, and you get the owners just like barely walking <laughs> along because the dog's too old. Or yeah. There's this really old dog on my street that the owner has to like his back legs don't work, so the owner Aww. oh like a little wheel? Yeah, well, no, no, not like a wheel. She's got like a like a strap contraption that whoa. she holds up <gasps> so the dog's front legs can walk, and she holds up his back end. And I'm like, that is oh man, so sweet. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a lot of work. Um, I yeah. ha- I've seen a dog with um, the wheels in the back so they can drag them. Yeah, I've seen those too. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, our Jack O'Brien has an old dog. And he sure does. I love I, Finn is the name of the dog. But um, when I first met Finn, uh, he's very old and he just kind of walks around with his eyes down. I would describe him as half hammerhead shark in yeah, terms yeah, yeah. of the way his, his face is constructed. Yes, yeah. and very big eyes, but they, he was looking down a lot because I think it was like a party where there was a lot of food, so he was like kind of roombaing around. And I thought he didn't have eyes. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, old dog with no eyes. I was like, oh, wow. So I asked Jack about him and he was like, what? He has eyes. <laughs> and then I had to crouch down and be like, oh, there's his eyes. <laughs> it is remarkable how little dogs need their eyes. Because yeah. you've known a lot of blind dogs, and sometimes you can't tell that well. Because yeah. it's just like, well, they, they kind of do everything with their nose anyway. Yeah, my dog Wushu has wonky eyes, so I don't even know if he can see. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to they're imagine what their eyes. world is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. That's so cool. Um. So. Okay. You don't go to therapy, but do do you have like a confidant, someone you talk to when you have stuff going on? Yeah, I've got I've got some friends and stuff that I that I confide in when shit's all fucked up. What's your like? Do you have like a process or routine for um? You know, if you're feeling like down, like, or do you just kind of just deal with it as it comes? It's mostly just exercise. I do a lot mm-hmm. of distance running. I go to the gym, uh, probably usually about ninety minutes to two hours a day. And oh that's wow! Like a, that's like a necessary thing for mental health maintenance for yeah. me. Uh, otherwise, I go crazy. How um, did you first find that out, or you just always been active? I've started running. I was running when I was uh, nineteen. I realized that, like, and it was specifically when I started running barefoot that I realized like wow. how many mental health benefits it had for me. Um, and <laughs> for a while, it was just ten miles a day every day. Ten miles week. barefoot. Yeah, every Where day. Where are you running? Like outdoors? Everywhere. I've done it in fifteen, twenty countries now. The only place I'm not willing to run barefoot is uh, India, because um, uh-huh. there's, there's a lot of stuff in the streets that I don't want to risk getting on my feet. But. Do you? Does is that dangerous? That sounds dangerous. I've never had a, an injury. Wow. Uh, and I, it's one of those things where because it strengthens so you don't have to run barefoot. If you just run with a thin sole, you get the benefits. Because it strengthens your ankle so much. Like, oh. I've rolled my ankle so many times hiking and stuff over the years, and uh-huh. it's never gotten hurt. Um, just because I think the tendons and stuff are so strong because I do so much training on it. When did What made you want to start running barefoot? Like, did you do it because you thought it was good for you, or are you just like, this seems fun? I yeah, it just sort of I felt compelled to see if I liked it. So I I had been running for six or seven months at that point. I was up to like five miles a day, and that was like my normal thing. I'd get home from teaching special ed, and I would do a five mile run. Uh, And then one day I was like, I'm gonna try to do like the first mile barefoot. So I like took off my shoes and I set (sighs) them out at the front like porch of my house, and I started running. And I never put running shoes back on. Wow. Um, I just really liked it. and most of my friends who have tried, I've had a lot of friends try. Uh, a couple of them have taken up barefoot running. Most of them have gotten really badly hurt. So I don't recommend oh no. it for other people. <laughs> I think what, for whatever reason, my feet are just suited for that because I've never gotten blisters or anything like that. Uh, I just imagine if I saw you and I didn't know you running barefoot, I'd be like, that man's running away from something. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> get some looks. Uh, I think most of my neighborhood is used to it now because I've been there for like a year and a half. So they're like, uh-huh. okay, well, it's just the guy that does that. Maybe you are like, like uh, I just like, you know, those Greek go- demigods when you f- they find out they have like one superpower because they like Zeus or whatever like to fuck all the nymphs in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how demigods come out, right? Yeah, running barefoot is no, my, no. my fucking <laughs> nymphs. I just yeah. you. <laughs> no, it's like how Achilles was dipped in the water. Oh, sure. Like you were like, I'm gonna start running barefoot, and you're like, I've never been injured, but actually, I'm a reverse Achilles. Everything yeah, is vulnerable yeah. <laughs> but my heel. But yeah, yeah, you're actually like you think it's just like a thing, and you're like telling people the gospel, like go run barefoot, and everyone's just coming back like badly injured. Yeah, I do not and, tell people to run barefoot anymore. And you're just like, I don't know what's wrong. It's easy for me, it's but it's because you've been dipped in like the the pond of whatever the pond of Achilles was. Yeah, I I don't know what it is. I mean, I, my guess is that like it's just some sort of like if you go back ten thousand years, my ancestors. We're doing a lot of that. Like, have you heard, heard of endurance hunting? 
It's like maybe just hunting for a long time. No, it's one of the earliest ways before people had like bows and arrows and stuff. Like yeah. when we just had like sharpened rocks. Um, people are capable of running longer than any other animal because oh, okay. we can sweat and breathe at the same time. So we're uh. not the fastest animal, but no animal can run for a longer distance than we can. Uh. So if you can chase a deer, and it takes about 20 miles to do this on average, wow. like it's actually roughly the length of a marathon, but if you can chase a deer and just like keep just close enough that the deer keeps running from you, eventually its heart will burst. What? And like that's, there's people, there's like oh tribes God. in Africa who still ha- hunt this way. So it's wow. one of the earliest ways people hunted. Is you, and you usually, they think that you would have had like a team. So like everyone would do seven or eight miles. But like uh-huh. if you could keep chasing a deer for a long enough period of time or an antelope or whatever, it'll just drop. What? And then you've got food. They just yeah. burst? Yeah, yeah. Because they, they can't run long so distances. So they aren't aware of, of how to stop. Like well, they won't I mean, be like, I'm going to. They can't because you're chasing them. Right, but there's no moment where they're like, I'm going to die. I should just stop and see what happens when I get caught. Like I, they're just like. I think they're, they'd go into fight or flight because they're, you know. Th- so fascinating. Because yeah. like we, I wonder if humans like push to a limit have that. Like do we, will we just fight until our last breath? I feel like most humans yeah. have a uh, the capacity of giving up. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I feel like a lot, like the idea of surrender where you're like. I will surrender before I reach that point, and then this might mean death, but mm, we'll see. I think humans are intelligent enough to think through. So some of us will choose to surrender. Some of us will fight to the death, depending on the circumstance. But I think like an antelope, it's just going to keep running. And their heart bursts. Yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty metal. Uh, but like that. What does it look like when they're they're oh, probably? I mean, I've never hunted an antelope down. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to imagine like. When you say burst, I imagine that little explosion, but it's probably just like it's like a heart attack. Crum- yeah, crumple over, right? Yeah, they just can't. You know, it's like uh, like how w- dogs can only sweat through like their tongue. They don't have yeah. like we are able to sweat and breathe at the same right. time, and that's pretty rare in the animal kingdom. Huh? Yeah, like a like a cheetah will run way faster than us, but they can only do it for a couple of minutes. You know, yeah. human beings are the only animal that can run for eight straight hours, and but people a, do that. A cheetah will at some point turn like the fight or flight. They'll eventually turn around and fight. You would not want to hunt a cheetah that way. Right. Right, because they would just be like, all right, get this guy off my ass, and then just like turn oh, around. Oh, I'm a 500-pound cat. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like I can take this little uh-huh. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to hunt a cheetah that way. Wow, I wonder if there's any stories in the past of uh, a deer being t- being endurance hunted and then just stopping and be like, listen up, and then be- I'm sh- becoming I- a friend of the man. I'm sure you yeah, get a couple of those stories. Maybe that's how we got horses. Oh, yeah. We were like, what if we just ride this horse and hunt other stuff? Right, right, That right, makes right, way right. more He's sense. like, hey, yeah. I'll, sell, I'll tell you where all the good deer are yeah. if you don't kill me. You guys, there's these things called deer, and they are way worse at running than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a horse, trust I'm me. I'm a horse. You can get on me. This will work out great. <laughs> I'll prove it. Nay, nay. Um, <laughs> okay, so you started running, and that was your kind of safe space of uh letting your energy out yeah it's pretty gotten to be pretty critical to my creative process i do a lot of like my writing before i sit down at a at a computer just like Uh going through stuff in my head while i run uh what so where where did you grow up uh texas for the most part texas and oklahoma okay lots of open spaces there to run yes um yeah well so you you uh did you always know you wanted to write? Um, that was like a thing growing up you always wanted to do. How did you get into it? Since I was in like third grade, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I would say about third grade. I, I just was, I read, it was like a, it was like a Michael Crichton book. It was The Lost okay. World. And so I started like, we were going on like a family road trip and my dad had this book that he'd gotten from the library and it had like a dinosaur on the front. Uh-huh. So I was like, fuck yeah, dinosaurs. And then I start reading this like very adult, like yeah. you know, say sci-fi fiction book and I loved it. And I probably wrote five different rip-offs of Jurassic Park as a little kid <laughs> that were just Jurassic Park but written by right, like written a nine-year-old nine-year-old me um what was do you remember um the first original story you wrote yeah it was like a Jurassic Park oh, what, no no but oh okay but yeah. before like because that was when you were still like co- trying to copy ideas that you read oh the first original yeah. story man I really don't I wrote a, a terrible uh fiction novel when I was like started when I was sixteen and finished when I was uh, eighteen. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, I would say that was the the first original story, and it was it was not particularly good. Was it sci-fi? No, it was like uh, it was like a, cri- a a crime novel, basically. Oh cool! Yeah, yeah. I wrote a. Uh, I feel like sci-fi is a, or fa- and fantasy is where a lot of kids start because yeah. you don't have a sense of the real world. So like the f- describing 
real world interactions is fantasy for a kid, right? Because you're just like, and the mom comes in and you're like, what the fuck would a mom do? I don't know. But I, the first story I remember writing, uh, like a complete story was in second grade called The Real Big Bang. And it was about these rabbits who um, lived on a planet and they had to save the universe uh, by killing these aliens and there was a big explosion but then in order to do that they had to sacrifice because they were the most intelligent mm-hmm. I love rabbits by the way like, right I'm, g- up- I'm gathering <laughs> that yeah I grew up oh yeah and the dream about- was about rabbits oh mm-hmm. my god it's all I'm really all connecting together. these symbols yeah. together but as a kid I was obsessed with rabbits I wanted a rabbit I like read up all about them I had books and books every time I went to the library I rented a book about the rabbits but this uh, story was about how they were the most intelligent animal, and in order to save the universe, they had to like sacrifice their intelligence, and so that's why they're dumb and Aww, the bottom of the food chain really, now. That's a really cool premise. Yeah, and so that's why they're like, because literally when you grow up learning about animals, everyone says like rabbits are at the bottom, right? They get eaten by everything, and they're kind of like dumb, and they just fuck a bunch. That's like what you know, yeah. Yeah, know they, about They don't rabbits. have a reputation for intelligence. Yeah. yeah, but in the story, they were like so cool and they saved the world. Saved everybody. Um, and that was the Big Bang. But <laughs> that was Aww. the first, a very silly story. But the first time I tried to write uh, realistic, what was it called? Not realistic, realistic fiction. Yeah, I mean just, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just grounded in reality was when I was like at a camp uh, in sixth grade for writing and I was like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna write realistic fiction and it was the most banana story it was about these two best friends it was called Sasha and Marielle best friends forever it was about one of their one of their 13th birthdays um, that one of the best friends starts smoking cigarettes Ooh. And then it was so bad because she's smoking is bad for you. And then it goes from like her smoking to like hanging out with the bad kids to getting cancer. And then like <laughs> at di- 13. Yeah. That to, is rough. <laughs> to die. <laughs> she picked some hardcore. Was she just doing the lucky and, strikes unfiltered? Yeah. Eating she just, cigars, she just <laughs> dies within the course of like three months, and oh, then like man. her best friend, uh, it's just like a tragedy of these best friends, and it's so insane. Yeah, you really the the, the anti cigarette stuff that we went through in middle school really worked on you. Really worked. I was so a hundred percent a nerdy kid who was like, don't do drugs, stay in school, get straight A's. All of that. It's interesting because I grew up so much in Plano. I I got very little anti like there was some anti cigarette, some anti weed stuff, but almost all of my anti drug stuff was focused on heroin. Oh wow! Because when I was <laughs> nine or ten years old, uh, right right after I'd moved to Texas from Oklahoma, we had what, what Rolling Stone called the Great uh, Texas Heroin Massacre, when like oh. seven or eight kids died in a single night from heroin. Because oh, it's man. like strong Plano was it was and I think still is like the heroin capital of the United States because oh, you've wow. got like a bunch of kids like there's a lot of rich kids in Plano, especially mm-hmm. on the west side of town. So there were just all these kids who would get hundreds of dollars a week in allowances from their rich parents and then would spend it on smack. Oh uh, and so like, yeah, we had this night where a ton of rich kids died in a night. And it's like, you know, eight rich kids dying in one night from heroin. That's like, oh. that's going to cause some shit. And so Damn. it was all about heroin in our anti-drug classes. Like that wow. was the thing that they really rammed home was like, don't try heroin, which is act like no, that's as bullshit as most anti-drug stuff is. Yeah, don't do heroin. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like we didn't even get to that point. I don't, I don't think I was even aware of heroin until high school. Yeah, I won't say my anti-drug education was good, but at least it made sense the thing that they focused on. Right, it heroin's, was like a legit yeah. thing that was like still now yeah. is good to focus on not don't, doing. But don't fuck with heroin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because as a kid, it was more about not wanting to get in trouble for me. Like, I, I don't really feel like I ever really understood. Like, yes, they told us drugs were bad because they affected your brain, but I don't think I ever really understood um, why they were bad because in my mind it was always like the drug itself is bad which is not true there are drugs that are um, abused and yeah. they're bad even if heroin you... has a purpose right if yeah. they're abused they're bad but like like weed is a classic example of like you know, it's, it's totally different from you know coke and they're just different but they're classified together and even coke is like you probably shouldn't do it a lot but it's a party drug they could teach like you shouldn't do it yeah. because it leads to addiction and then leads to this but the drug itself, like if you did it a few times, it's really it's pl- whatever. fine. Yeah, yeah it's not going to kill you. I've done cocaine five or six times. I don't like it. Like yeah. I would never seek it out. If somebody's like, you want to do coke at this party? I've got a bunch of coke. Yeah, all right, I'll try some coke. But like, it's never been something I've sought out. Yeah. But I, I guess like the thing about the anti drug, like most of the anti drug classes we got were still pretty fear mongering. But we, I had a uh-huh. teacher when I was in sixth grade, um, a biology teacher whose son had gotten permanently crippled during the heroin massacre, and he lost four of his friends. And her anti-drug stuff was just like, it was just heroin. And she was just like, don't fuck with this stuff. Anything else you try 
is like, you know, if you get drunk, if you smoke weed, if you do cocaine, like there's a margin of error that's pretty wide. It's hard to kill yourself. Yeah. Don't mess with heroin. Was just like, that was the, the thing that really stuck with me. And like of all of the drugs that I've done, I've never fucked with heroin. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you. Probably uh, wise. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Teacher. It works. Good, good, <laughs> yeah. good education. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything you would like to tell me, Robert? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an eating disorder, like right when I moved to L.A. Uh, that like I, I was like a, a heavy kid in uh, in middle school and high school, like, uh, and then I started running, and that got a little bit better. Um, but I was still something I was always really self conscious about. And when I moved to L.A. and started doing like the personal experience stuff for crack, then mm-hmm. that took off. Um, I also started running even more and also really controlling my diet. And at first that was because like when I moved out to LA, I was not making, I think my initial salary at crack was like, cracked was like 55 grand a year, Mm -hmm. which in LA is not a huge amount of money. Like Mm -hmm. I had about $900 after rent and bills and Mm -hmm. stuff every month for like food and everything. So like it started as like, okay, well I've got to live cheap until I start making more money and yada, yada, yada. And I lost like 40 pounds and I oh, wow. really liked losing a bunch of weight. And at first it was great. And I would go back like home to Texas and people would all comment on how good I looked. And then I started like obsessing over, like I would measure my, weigh myself on the scale like two or three times a day. Oh, wow. Um, and I got to the point where like I would only eat once per day after I had done like a nine or 10 mile run and done my whole work for the day so that I uh-huh. could like weigh myself at the end of the day and like see that I was allowed to eat. Oh no. Um, and it got like, I, I just sort of like got over it eventually in my head, but it was, there was about a year or so there where it was, and finally like it was my, uh, my fiance at the time who was like, this has gone beyond like wanting to get healthy. Yeah. Uh, this has become a problem and you should check yourself. Because yeah. this is what people are talking about when they talk about having an eating disorder. When she said that to you, were you surprised? Like, was it something you were aware of? Like, oh, yeah, you're saying truth. Or was it like, I didn't even realize I had this? I did not think about it that way. I thought about it. Like, I got, I knew I was really anxious about putting yeah. weight back on again. Um, like, you weren't aware when you were in it that you were... You were um, obsessing about it yeah i realized that i was pretty unhappy because of how central this had become to my life uh and how limiting it was and what i could do um but i hadn't really realized i hadn't really applied the term eating disorder to it Mm -hmm. uh and so when she said that like that before it was like well you can't risk putting any weight back on because that's the worst thing in the world and then she said that. No, that was what oh, was going was on like, in my head. Oh. No, and when like, she said, "Maybe like, a problem if she said this that is to an you. eating disorder," and that like yeah. that's kind of what I it didn't cure it, but that's what started the process of me getting over it. Was being like, "Oh, oh shit!" Of course, that because I'd done articles with Crack where I'd interviewed people about their right. eating disorders, and I it hadn't clicked with me that like well, that's exactly what you're fucking doing man like, it's really hard to see um sometimes when you're in something yeah even if it's right in front of you that you are that way yeah and and um yeah that's crazy well i mean it sounds like like uh it was like a hard hard time of your life and you were probably going through a lot of uh, changes and wanting to find some control over like the new environment that you had and maybe like the uncertainties that yeah. was going on. Yeah. It probably had a lot to do with the fact that like I had a really big base of friends and and you know colleagues and people that I dated and stuff when I lived in Texas and then I moved out to LA where like the only people I knew were it cracked and like yeah. I liked all of my coworkers but none of them were friends yet, you yes. know? Like I, it, that happened after a couple of years in town, but mm-hmm. like at first they were just people I saw at work and then I would go back alone to my office and or at my home and I would write three articles a night or whatever um so it was also really easy to just not eat to just work and run all the time and then have like a tiny amount of food at the end of the day and go to sleep and then start the process over again um and so as i it was also one of those things where like i didn't feel miserable doing it at first and Mm -hmm. then gradually it became this thing that controlled a lot of my life well there's a high at first it's like drugs like it probably hooks you because in the beginning there's a feeling Mm -hmm. A high that probably you're cha- I don't know like did it feel like you're trying to get back to that original feeling ever or you just kind of kept fell deeper and just I, I didn't I guess it was like a fear of it felt so good for people to like talk about oh man you really lost a bunch of weight that I didn't ever want the opposite to happen I think mm. it was more like a fear of that um yeah I, I would I think that probably was the the big driver 
Wow, that's that's uh, a, a lot to share, and I'm sorry that you went through that. Yeah, it's um, just a thing. But um, yeah, I it's so interesting. I my sister um, dealt with that in high school, and I didn't. But we both like kind of were coping with similar things in different ways, mm-hmm. and mine came out in different ways. Like I ended up, actually, I don't think I drank a lot in high school, but I it was just in different ways. But um, the idea of like like I've Anytime I've thought about, uh, I've never had an eating disorder, but I've definitely had that, uh, been close to like wanting to obsess over something and I, with food and weight and all that, if I start to get, uh, if I start to think about it, then it can become where I put all my energy. So I just don't, I don't like have a scale or anything in my house. Yeah. I don't do that. that anymore either. Yeah. But numbers is a big thing for me. Like I latch onto, if I need control of my life, like tracking anything with numbers becomes a thing I obsess over. Like weight is one, but also, mm-hmm. um, even like like emails or texts mm-hmm. or anything like that where I can quantify like, oh, I will delete, I'll go through my email and delete this many a day or like how many uh, followers do I have? And then I'll like keep checking it. It's really easy to fall into that because I think there's a feeling of like just cha- utter chaos in life sometimes, mm-hmm. especially if everything's changing where I'm like, I don't know how to quantify anything. So if I can find a way to quantify any progress or feeling of like being grounded, then I use that. Yeah, I think you. that's a pretty pretty human thing to do like you mm-hmm. see a bunch of like i i know that um like I, I run into all these articles where someone will be like no see as as fucked up as things feel the world's getting better because this number is getting better because uh-huh. the number of people who are in poverty this number is getting better or this number is getting better this no see the world's getting better and it's yeah. like well w- one one thing's getting better <laughs> one thing's getting better there's also a billion more people living under dictators, but you don't want to think about that number. You want to think about, you know, this other number that you've latched onto because numbers make mm. sense and the world is chaos. There's also more people, so more new problems. Yeah, yeah. That is, in, th- th- some things are impressive, though, when it's like there's more people and percentages of things are going down. That's probably good. But also, like, with every new technology, there's going to be a new problem. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, maybe we've gotten better at recycling plastic bottles, but what about iPhones. Yeah, or what about <laughs> fucking Bitcoin? I just yeah. read the other day that like the amount of power used to mine Bitcoin exceeds all of the power generated by solar energy worldwide. <laughs> so oh it's like God. all of that bit of it we wiped out <laughs> with our like work. nonsense math money. Like <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> this is why do you um are you religious at all? No. What's your um history with religion? Like were were you raised religious or Yeah, I was raised I would say Republican Party politics were my religion oh, okay. as a kid. We did go to church, but not regularly. There would be years where we went to church most Sundays, and then years where we just didn't because my parents fell out of the habit, and I wasn't going to fucking push to go if my parents weren't. What like, do you mean by, do you mean like in terms of like social issues, Republican Party? Like, conservatism like no abortion, that was sort of our thing? religion. Okay. Uh, or just more just in general, like the lifestyle conservative. The, the lifestyle and that identity was okay. more important than God or Jesus. Uh, and even like I, my parents are anti-abortion. Um, uh-huh because they're conservative but it was always more this identification with conservatives this identification with ronald reagan with george Mm -hmm. w bush with that party um that was that thing was more the factor than any individual issue Mm -hmm. um like my parents didn't own guns or anything like and and so it was it was like it wasn't like they were clinging to a specific thing. It was the identity, and that's still very important to them. Their identity is yeah. conservatives, and that that was the religion I was raised in. I would say. Okay, I ask that too because sometimes I think about how, like, when we're talking about all these pr- new problems and whatever, and it, it stresses me out. But then, I don't know. I'm not religious, but I do kind of believe in a higher being of some sort, like whether it's God or the universe or something, I, or just even all the things like literally the atoms in the world being connected because they all exist in the same plane. Like I believe in something pulling us all together. And that helps me when I get stressed out because I think, Oh, well there's going to be some sort of balance. If we create a problem, there'll be a solution. Like somehow it'll balance out. Not like without us doing anything, we should still do our best and put our best foot forward. But I do kind of believe that if we're all doing our best and trying to make things work out, it will. That might be naive. I don't know. But it helps me get through the day. I would call it optimistic, but not necessarily naive. Like, it's, we all have to, hopefully, if you, if you're going to, like, hang in there for the long haul in existing, uh, (laughs) you you pick some reason, you know, it's like Barack Obama's, the Mm -hmm. the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. Like, it's that same idea. And I think if you don't, have something like that even if you know at some point like this is something i'm choosing to believe sure it still is necessary 
in order yeah. to maintain your sanity. That's true. I don't know. Yeah, if I really, really were like questioned under, I don't know, pressure, I'm like, I'm, I might crackle and say like, I don't really believe it. I believe it because it's the best way for me to live my life yeah. because otherwise I'd be unhappy. I mean, unhappier. But I think if I really were to think about it, when people are like, do you really think everyone will be okay? I, I usually am like, well, no, but I think you'll, you can believe you're going to be okay until you're not and then you're dead and then fine. Yeah. Like I, I do, I'm like, yes, that's true. I could probably be wrong and just die horribly and then be like, well, I was wrong, but by that point I'll be dead. So I don't have to ever live with that like cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Fake it till you make it or die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, I do actually kind of, I'm more nihilistic. Like I really, if I were questioned, would tell everyone, nothing matters. We're all going to die. And fate has no, like fortune doesn't really favor anybody. You're going to, some evil people get what they want. Some really great people die horribly. And that's just how it is. But if I were to tell that to everyone, I think a lot of people are just like, well, thanks for ruining my life. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible that thing. Like, I think it's possible for things to work out well for humanity. I think it's possible for us to have that utopian Star Trek sort of future where mm. everybody's like well educated and spends their lives doing the things that matter most to them, and we're all we we don't fuck with each other. I think that's a possible goal to achieve. It hasn't been rendered impossible yet. So I would say that is like my equivalent of heaven is the idea that like okay. Well, if uh, if we all try our best, if those of us who aren't monsters try our best to make the world less fucked up, eventually the world could be less fucked up. It's possible. It's not guaranteed. There's mm. no there's no like power out there saying like this is the inevitable conclusion of all this, but it is possible for us to win that outcome. Although it's also possible for the Nazis to win, so that's not <laughs> not not entirely great. But. I feel like it's well. I think it's possible for evil to win in short term. It's very, like, the world is set up to, um, it's very conducive to evil winning in the short term, only because of the nature of evil. It's like, you trick people and you cheat. And so if if most people are good, which we're all trying to be, um, evil can very quickly and easily take over. But I think in the long term, it's very hard to ev for evil to stay in power because when someone plays dirty, there's, like, good people who had the skills to play dirty yeah. who are like, all right, well, if you're going to fight like this, you know, that's how revolutions happen is then there's obviously um, killing on both sides. But then the people with uh, the quote unquote good values or, you know, whatever, who are fighting for justice and, you know, equality, those people then take out their guns or whatever. And that's when they're like, all right, you're going to do this. Well, we're going to fight back. And then they always, I feel like, win at Classic, that point. Classically <laughs> ending on a Teresa second pro-Second Amendment. But no, <laughs> when I say guns, I meant metaphorical guns. Uh, mm. Guns ablazing. I like pipe your bombs. intellect. That's a gun. Your brain is a gun. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, your body is a gun. Your mm -hmm. body is, a, well, some people's are. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. It depends on if you're a squirter or not. Um, oh, I was going to talk about those guys at, at, at Muscle Beach. Those, oh. those big ass. Yes, those and that. Yeah. 14 inch pythons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was probably a more appropriate <laughs> way to go with that. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Uh, so how did you get, so you just got over your eating disorder yeah, or it did was, it fade away or was it cold turkey? Like how did you, you became aware of it and, uh, and then how did you just stop? I mean, I threw out my scale. I started, a big part of it was like going from just running as exercise to like weight training because mm -hmm. you, you have to eat food to, to do weight training. Yeah. Were um, you getting exhausted during the days? Were you like passing out? Uh, every now and then I would get kind of tired, um, but not, not all that much. Like, I'm sure it wasn't great for my heart or whatever, but, uh, I usually felt okay. I would eat a decent, I would eat a pretty good amount at night. Um, was your food tied? Cause it seem, seems like the exercise part was really tied to the eating too, right? Yes. Like was, what was going through your head when you were running? Did you think like, were you thinking about food like as a motivation to keep running or was just like, was your mind blank when you ran? Was it an escape or were you like? kind of like confined to was, this obsession when you ran it was a mix you know i'm running for between 90 minutes to sometimes two and a half hours i would do like a half marathon every week so like i was running enough time that a lot of different things went through my head okay. so it wasn't like a that. place where you would just black out and then be like freedom. No, no, no no you no, were no. like thinking a lot while you. yeah were. i was thinking about a lot of stuff like a lot of like what i was going to write the next day uh -huh. and like i had i've had most of my ideas I, like I, I still run 30 or 40 miles a week and so yeah, i would wow. say that's where i do most of my thinking that's like actual productive thinking did you have to 
stop running when you stopped uh, being obsessive over food for a while, or you just kept running and just started I've eating again? I've never been able to stop running. Uh, like it, it's it's a necessary thing for the maintenance of like the happy the having enough happy chemicals in my head to be able to function as a person. Uh-huh. Like I have to be able to run. Like my biggest nightmare is like breaking a leg or something. Uh-huh. Like and it's less of a nightmare now that I do strength training and stuff because now I know there's another way to get some of those benefits at yeah. least. Like if I broke my, I could still go to a gym and like exercise. Uh, but running, there's nothing else that does what quite what running does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that's why I still do it pretty obsessively, but I don't keep track of my weight anymore. Um, I just don't let myself do that because I know where that leads. That's so, it's interesting because I think a lot of times exercise is really tied to eating disorders, but it seemed like for this period of your life, there was something going on where you were uh, focused on the food, obviously, more than normal. But the exercise seems like it was a healthy thing you were doing before, and you were able to separate it. Yeah. I mean, I've always – it helped that I was doing the exercise five or six years before I ever had any kind of eating disorder. So yeah. it's just – it has been – that's been a consistent part of my life since I was 19. So for the last, like, 12 years, I've been pretty much every day done something. Um, so it, it, that was, like, always something that, like, the issue isn't that I'm exercising. The issue right. is that I'm not eating. Yes. Like, yeah, that was always sort of more of the problem. Uh huh. But you didn't. Well, I, yes, but the exercising was tied to the eating, right? Because you were rewarding yourself for. Yes. Yeah. Exercising. And, it, it, and it was more like I would punish myself for not exercising. Like if I had a hard day, like a heavy day at work, and I like couldn't get in a run, then I just like wouldn't eat that night. Uh, Did you ever feel like you wanted someone to notice that you were doing this? No, because I, I didn't see it as a problem. Like, I thought that, like, part of it, part, one of the things that was the problem is after I lost the first, like, 25, 30 pounds, which mm-hmm. I did need to lose, I, like, went into a doctor for a checkup, uh, and he was like, well, it's, this is great. Like, it's great that mm. you, like, this is, the, you know, you're a lot healthier now, and that's really good. So I didn't I, I didn't think about it until my, uh, my fiancé was like, this is a problem, uh, which was, you know, like a year or so after that point. It wasn't, it, it, yeah. it took someone being like, this is an unhealthy thing that you're doing. Like, I, I had felt not healthy for a while because it, it had gone from being just, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm losing weight that I need to lose, and that's great, which is healthy, to I'm checking the scale three times a day and obsessing over it and yeah. miserable all the time. But I, I had not analyzed that in my head. Sure. And it wasn't until somebody else told it to me that I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, you're right. This is not good. Well... What happened, like, at work if people wanted to go eat? Like, you just never went to eat? Like, did anyone c- ever call it out, or you just kind of got by just saying, like, oh, I don't want to eat anything? I Sometimes I would if it, if I was, like, around people. Like, I wouldn't, you know, I just wouldn't eat dinner or something, or I'd mm-hmm. go on an extra long run that, that evening or whatever. But also, like, I didn't know anyone that well. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't getting invited out to a lot of uh, lunches and dinners the first year or so that I was working for Cracked uh, as a full-timer. Like, because I just didn't know anybody very well. That sounds so sad. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty, like, my wife was up in the north uh, yeah. on a farm, and uh, or my, my, my girlfriend at the time was up at the north on a farm, and yeah, I just didn't know anybody very well. Like, I didn't have any friends in the Los Angeles area until, like, Dave and Tom and stuff moved in. Like, that's when I had people that I was hanging out with. And they no- nobody ever noticed or said anything? Nobody ever said anything. I mean, we all worked way too much yeah you, you know how the company culture at cracked was people sure. would like be deathly ill and yeah. showing up to do <sighs> stuff uh just because that was the kind of people that got attracted to that job uh-huh. so yeah nobody noticed nobody said anything if they if people noticed they didn't say anything i think that's the thing is a lot of times we're so focused on, it, like it took a year and a half you said for your uh, wife to, or if your fiance to notice and we're all so focused on ourselves like, we always think like other people are looking at us or mm-hmm. thinking things about us but the truth is like we're all so busy thinking that about ourselves that it, it does. I mean, eventually you do notice stuff about your friends if it's off, but like it takes a long time it takes to, a time, to notice yeah. and then to say something because yeah. there's always the assumption like, oh, they know what they're doing. They're an adult or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I have that sometimes. Where I'm like, they seem hmm, like they're going through something. And then you just don't push it anymore. You're like, well, they're going through something like, yeah. as if that's fine. But then it's like, or you could ask, are you cool? What's going on? Something, it seems like you're going through something. Yeah, seems like this might be a problem. Yeah. I feel like you're good at that. You, I, th- I remember you reached out to me once when I was uh, <laughs> having a breakdown. And it was only, and I didn't even say it. I think I just posted a couple statuses, like jokes, that like sometimes it helps me to tweet out something when I'm having a breakdown because I'm like, uh, I'll think of something funny 
to like cope with it. But then I remember you reached out to me once. You're like, are you okay? And then I was like, I've gone too far. <laughs> like <have> you noticed. <laughs> I mean, it might just be that like when you have had that situation yourself where like you were going through something fucked up and nobody noticed until it had hit a certain point yeah. that maybe you, maybe I was a little bit more focused on like paying attention to people. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, it might've been, I just remember, yeah, I think seeing you post something on either Twitter or Facebook yeah. and being like, but I didn't even say think, hello. I yeah. didn't even think it was because I, I wasn't trying to ask for help or anything. I, I, I think I was in that place in my mind where I was like, you know, using humor in my brain to go get through it. And then I was like, this is kind of funny to me in a twisted way mm -hmm. or whatever. I, I don't remember what the joke was, but it's probably something about having a breakdown. And then you, uh, and then you reached out. Actually, Dan O'Brien also did that once, and so I, like I think, yeah. As much as the culture is very like work, work, work at Cracked, I feel like people did care, which was really. Oh nice. yeah, people definitely cared. It was not like that people didn't give a shit what was going no, on. No, we were it just all self. Uh, what's the word? Workaholics and workaholics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were all very uh, unbalanced people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think still, for the most part, are pretty yeah, unbalanced yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, that was really nice that you did that, and uh, it did help me step back and be like, okay, uh, yep, I should have. It was like um, like you said, your fiance saying something, yeah. me being like, all right, like because yeah, you don't name it right when yeah. you're having a breakdown. Even though in hindsight, I'm like, I was having a breakdown, but at the time, I was just whatever. I was like, this is normal. But then when someone else calls it out, you're like, oh yeah, okay, this yeah. is a thing. Oh, oh, I gotta yeah, deal with maybe it. This is a problem. <laughs> I gotta deal yeah. with this. Yeah, that's always very interesting of not knowing until uh, someone puts a label on it. Yeah, there's a sweet spot of, there's no benefit in us policing each other, but there yeah. are infinite benefits in us like paying attention to each other yeah. and like caring about- And saying, are you okay? Are, is, you, are you doing all right? Yeah. Is everything okay? Because then like, they could just say, yeah. Yeah. If they are, and then that's fine. And it's one of those things, like I think you said something like, yeah, it's fine, but like sometimes just reaching out can start the process of someone mm -hmm. realizing, oh no, you know what? That thing that I sent out thinking I was just making a dark joke there's something there yeah. and I should, I should examine that. <laughs> no. And yeah. it was nice because I was fine in that. Like I was like, I have it under control, but it was nice because it did make me realize like, Oh, you know what? If I really am going through something and I feel like I can't talk to anyone in my mind, I was like, Oh, maybe I can always call Robert up or something. Cause I'm like, Oh, he like gets it. So I think those reaching out to people in your life when you see that happening is important. Cause even if sometimes it'll feel like, even if they shut you off down or say like, it's fine. It it puts you in a place where they next time if it's yeah. not fine they'll be like okay mate, like you're a lifeline a little bit somebody reached out so like they yeah. they care to an extent it's not you it's it, you can't sort of trick yourself into thinking that nobody cares about this sure because that's yeah. the thing we do when we're like spiraling is like oh nobody understands I'm all by myself yeah. and nobody cares nobody will even notice if I don't go to this thing and it may be true here and there like people again people aren't thinking about you not because they don't care it's because they're yeah. thinking about themselves. And so if someone doesn't notice you're at a party, it's not because everyone hates you. It's because yeah. they're anxious about a million they're other things. They're freaking out yeah, about Yeah, they're like, something. is my crush going to be there? Did yeah. I write where they're at? They're thinking about all those mm -hmm. things and not where's Teresa. But it can be very isolating if you're depressed and you're thinking about going out and then you'd have that thought, like that nagging thought of like, will anyone notice if I'm not there? And then that pops in and then you don't go and nobody calls. That's dangerous because then you're like... I'm right. Everyone hates me, which is not true. It's just everyone's worried about themselves. Yeah, everybody, but like that's the the like I guess if you're talking about like sort of the greater cosmic point about like whether or not to be optimistic about people in the future, <laughs> I think most people do care about the other people around them, and I think like that's what solidarity is. And yeah, that's it's one of those. You know, I do a lot of uh, anti-fascist research, and I'm I'm very plugged into communities of anti-fascists around mm -hmm. the United States. And there's this guy, uh, Tusitala Tozi, who's like a, a far-right fascist activist who's assaulted just a ton of people in Ugh. Portland. Very violent guy. Um, and he was suicidal at one point. Mm -hmm. And one of his other, like, there's all, like, the, the far, the, these fascist activists, they don't have that kind of solidarity. Like, they're all mm -hmm. pretty, pretty mean to each other as well as, and, like, are more unified by the fact that they hate the other groups that they're attacking more. And so when he posted something that was, like, really depressed on Facebook, a bunch of girls who were in this Patriot Prayer community, this, like, far-right group, started uh, making fun of him in a private chat. And one of them sent him that. And he, like, posted, like, a really emotional video talking about how much it hurt him to, like, see that. And uh, because, you know, these the anti-fascist activists keep a, an eye out on all these people uh -huh. and watch these videos they post – a bunch of us who had like some of whom had been assaulted by this guy were talking about how bad they felt for him and like 
it was like this is one of the reasons why we have a chance at winning as one of them said on like uh-huh. Facebook or something because like I know if I were to express suicidal ideation uh, ideation at some point like 20 people would reach out to me yeah. and be like are you okay are you doing fine like that this this comment worried me uh and they don't have that and that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons that is as good as evil is at manipulating the system and at at fucking with people mm-hmm. that's one of the things that like people who aren't shitty have is that like we care about each other yeah and that's an advantage yeah um well it's also tricky because a lot of evil people a lot of evil people most evil people were not born evil no and they didn't start that way and it's, they don't see themselves that way either. Yeah. yeah well it's like our conversation about r kelly it's like a lot of times something terrible happened and it, none of it ever justifies it but it it does help explain it sometimes because mm-hmm. sometimes people are like how could you fathom this person doing that and then oftentimes inside is just like a wounded person yeah but unfortunately because most of us are good when you hear that it does make you your empathetic side feel for them but then you remember oh there's a ton of good people who had shitty things happen and didn't didn't do that yeah and then that's when you're like okay well yeah (laughs) if you do something bad it's bad and you should be punished for it and that's it and whether or not you have a crazy backstory is like oh that's not not important like what is important is like stopping it, like yeah, with our well, stopping the cycle point, and rehabilitating for sure, but also not excusing. Uh, like yeah. explaining is different from excusing. I'm all for hearing backstories yeah. of criminals and violent psychopaths to maybe help us understand and explain and, and it. prevent that from yes, happening prevent, in the future, but not to excuse. And that's why all these true crime podcasts sometimes like yeah. creep me out because there's a there's this glamorification or romanticization of these mm-hmm. like criminals, and I'm like, well. It's nice to get inside the mind to understand it, but we're not all about like I'm not trying to excuse any of this behavior, you know. Yeah, there's this 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 English fairy tale that one of the sites I write for, Bellingcat, takes its name from, where there's like uh-huh. a bunch of mice and they there's this cat that's hunting them and they conspire to tie a bell around the cat's uh-huh. neck, and it, that's like that's what we need oh, to be yes. doing with I evil is you 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 fucking you tie a bell around its neck so people yeah. understand what it is. Like that's why you talk about what happened to someone like R. Kelly, not so that yeah. you forgive him, but that you understand like oh these are the kind of things that concoct to make someone who is capable of doing this to people and we need to understand that so there aren't more people doing that in the future yeah these are the things that make a hitler or a stalin and we should like we We should understand what those were if we want to stop them i love that um fairy tale i feel like i've heard it when i was a kid but i don't it's been a minute but i love that because it's like even if you just think of the nature of a cat and mouse like the cat is hunting to survive Mm mm-hmm the cat is not, but if you're the, the mouse community, you're not going to just be like, oh, well, he's just trying to survive, so I will surrender myself. No, yeah. that's not the answer. No, you still try to figure it out and do what you got to do. Yeah. I guess the metaphor then ends because I, I would say in human life, it's not like, like in the cat metaphor, in the um, animal kingdom, there's got to be a balance. So yes, and prey and predator, whatever. Like, yes, yeah. at some point, the predator needs to kill the prey. I don't think that's true for humans. I don't think any of these predators need to whatever hurt their prey or assault their victims. But I do think um, the metaphor works up until the point of like they are doing it because they their perception of the world is different. But then I think it stops because it's like you can't just be like they have to do this because they don't. Like (laughs) morally, you can't blame a cat for eating a mouse. But like (laughs) we all worked with a person that we later learned was a yes. predator and that person was really dangerous up until the point where everyone figured out what they were doing and started talking to yeah. each other until we were like no this person has a pattern this is what they do and this is how we try to stop them from getting that was really people. crazy to me too because um i remember he was a big uh, proponent of or outwardly a proponent yep. of uh of against like predatory behavior and wrote about it and yeah. was an ally outside and like this is obviously a different situation but when you're talking about um interviewing people with eating disorders and not realizing you had it i thought of that a little too because i mm-hmm. i don't i don't even know if it was so malicious at the time like it may have been a not self-aware and then slowly became more aware as people called him out on it like yeah i think it, and this is why a lot of people who were fans of um this guy don't understand it because in their mind they're like oh there's no way he was trying to trick us all the time. It's like, maybe not. Maybe he wasn't aware that he was yeah. doing it. Maybe he really felt like fascinated by these psychopaths and stories because he thought he was on the other side. And then once he realized he was one of them, couldn't face it. And that's why yeah. he was like in denial. Uh, but then at a certain point, it's still like, if you do something bad, you that's, you did it and you have to take ownership. Whether, yeah. whether or not you were aware 
or not like it doesn't matter like if you hurt someone you hurt someone yeah well it was one of those things what he he, there was a point at which he made a choice because people did it wasn't just that we like cut this person out of our lives people reached out to him and were like what you are doing is bad and it it needs to stop and like we're offering you an amount of emotional support because we don't want to just write you off as a human being and he made a choice to continue those behaviors Anyways. Anyways. Wow. Well, that got heavy. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I mean, it's a show about secrets. It is yeah. a show about secret. Um, well, I'm really glad you shared that with me, and I'm, I'm glad that you were able to make it through and have friends and people to talk to now and uh, and have a much healthier lifestyle. Um, and I, I think that people will appreciate that because I think a lot of listeners deal with addiction and having an obsession, yeah. and so I think hearing hearing that you, like, you can just get through it. Like, you didn't go to rehab or anything. You just kind of, like was aware and then just Not that got, got I, out I'm of I'm saying it. people shouldn't go to read. No, no, no. Yeah, they should have been. Yeah. Well, but I mean, like, there's a feeling of, like, sometimes there's a feeling of hopelessness when you're like, I don't have the resources. I can't do this. So I'll just keep going deeper in this hole. But there is a world where you can try it by yourself first or bring yeah. in your friends to help you and... Yeah, it's possible to deal with this stuff without professional help, which is not to say that professional help isn't useful or that you shouldn't seek it. But if you like, yeah. you don't if you if you don't have enough money, if you don't have the resources, you can still deal with these problems mm-hmm. if you have enough support and people who care about you. Yeah, just step by step. I think yeah. not thinking so big picture because when you're f- super deep in something, it's like scary to imagine a life different. Even if you're unhappy, it's just like a big change is very scary. But then if you just are like, all right, day by day, tomorrow I'll do this a little less. Or tomorrow, what if yeah. tomorrow I don't weigh myself? Or what if yeah. tomorrow I do this? That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I want to end on a game. Do you want to play a game? Sure. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you seem surprised. Um, okay, this is a game because we did that drug video, so this is about drugs. Uh, it's a fun little game called Symptoms or Side Effects, uh, also known as Side Effects Include. So this is a simple game. It's uh, I'm going to list some things that are either symptoms or side effects of a commonly known disease or whatever of, uh, of affliction or of a commonly known drug or um, okay. uh, and these are more like prescription uh, drugs like uh, medical drugs but loosely inspired by the idea of drugs okay and then you just have to guess if it's a symptom or side effect you feel free to guess what it's for they're all well anyways here we go let's do it let's just uh, let's just see okay here's the first one uh, flushing headaches Upset stomach, diarrhea, memory problems, nausea, blurred vision, or dizzy- and dizziness. Side effects. Yes, correct. Any guesses for what it might be for? What type of, what type of tre- what it's treating? Uh, depression? Good guess. Uh, it is actually Cialis, though. It is oh. to treat ED. ED. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> diarrhea, great. memory problems. So you can have great sex and then forget about it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Next one. Severe aches, pain, and tiredness around eyes, weakness or fatigue, headache, dry cough, sore throat, runny nose. Oh, that sounds like symptoms. Correct. It is influenza. Yeah, I was going to say the flu. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, We'll give it away. I mean, oh, the runny nose maybe? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so many of these just sound, I can't tell. Okay, here's the next one. Vomiting, loss of appetite, nausea, dizziness, dry mouth, stomach pain, weakness, mood changes. I'm going to say side effects. Correct. It's the side effects of oxycodone. I mean, the only side effect I know of oxycodone <laughs> is feeling fucking great. But <laughs> well, you know, maybe the mood changes. Yeah, changing yeah, from yeah. My, my mood changes to fucking great. Bad to yeah, great. Yeah. Fucking great. So there you go. That's a good mood change. Yeah, mood change is not necessarily a bad mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. if you're trying to change your mood. If you're trying to change your mood. <laughs> True. Well, you're doing very good at this. Uh, Should have known. You're an expert. Okay. Um, spotting and cramping, breast changes, fatigue, and nausea, missed period, constipation, frequent urination. Side effect or symptom? I'd, I'd say side effect. Good guess, but it is a symptom of ah, pregnancy. Pregnancy. What a, but probably also a side effect of pregnancy. I don't know. Is pregnancy an affliction? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's Depends debatable. where you stand. Yeah. yeah. All right. You're doing pretty good. Okay. Uh, a couple more. Twitching and muscle spasms, overactive reflexes, nausea, mild skin rash, upset stomach, diarrhea. Is this a symptom or a side effect? I'm going to guess side effect. Correct. Do you have any guess what it's treating? No. Penicillin. Treating oh, common yeah. Cold. Rashes there would make sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know this. This makes me not want to take medicine or get sick. Um, <laughs> here's, okay, two more. Nausea, drowsiness, dizziness, anxiety, trouble sleeping, loss of appetite, tiredness, sweating, and yawning. Symptom? 
side effect uh, of Prozac. Prozac. Did you know yawning is a side effect? Yeah. Is that a bad thing to yawn? Or just, if I guess you if you're tired, you yawn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds like, isn't it supposed to try to treat? Well, I guess anxiety is not really depression, but that feels like it would make me more depressed. Yeah. All right. Here's the final one. Is this a side effect or symptom? Uh, creamy white lesions on your tongue, inner cheeks, Ooh. redness, burning or soreness, cracking and redness at the corners of your mouth, cottony feeling in your mouth, loss S- of taste. Side effect? What do you think Cracking. would be a side effect for? Jeez, uh, I don't know. I really have no idea. I've it is a symptom of thrush. Thrush? <laughs> well, shit. Yeah, that was a good find from our producer, Sammy. They thrush? Found I didn't know what thrush was. That sounds, sounds like an old-timey like disease. Sounds like a punk rock band. Yeah, thrush. Thrush, yeah. You guys, there's a <laughs> wicked-ass thrush show. Yeah, I yeah. knew about thrush before they oh, sold man, out. Oh, the fucking mosh pits at yeah. a thrush show. Well, you, you know, a symptom of going to uh, underground punk rock show. Maybe I, all I of these crackness, get, cracking yeah. and redness in your mouth will happen if you party too hard. You probably. get thrush from a thrush mosh pit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did very good. I think you won that game because you got more right than you got wrong. So yeah, congratulations. Life, baby. Yeah. Uh, well, where can people find you? I write okay on Twitter. I had a podcast called Behind the Bastards, and uh, I've got a GoFundMe for a book called The War on Everyone, so check it out. Check it out. Follow Robert on Twitter. Donate to his GoFundMe. Uh, and you can follow this podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod on Instagram. Woo. Thank you. Thank you for listening to You Can Tell Me Anything. You Can Tell Me Anything is a comedic podcast created and produced by Teresa Lee on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. The Hoo Ha Ha team is Ashley McAtee, Audrey Povar, Maggie Week Austin, Cardi Assad, and Stephanie Binot. The theme song for this podcast was created by Cody Johnston. The outro music was written by Shipwrecked Sailor. And the Hoo Ha Ha app can be found in the Apple Store to stream your favorite comedy series and laugh out loud podcasts by the funniest woman in comedy. To contact this podcast specifically, you can email tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at tellmeanythingpod. Thank you.